Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for all things Olympiakos FC and Greek football. You're listening to episode 30 and midweek series number 14. My name is Peter Thompson. I'm here with Adi Bulubasis. We are unfortunately missing Lambro Sirmos today. He is being replaced by our super sub, Konstantin Levoyanis of Olympiakos EU, a frequent guest of ours and a good friend. And we are also here with our special guest for today, Perry Hadjuanu, which I hope I said right. I've been advertising it on the last few episodes. Maybe I've been butchering it every time. But either way, we are very excited to have Perry on today. He's a good friend of ours, and we'll have some really interesting stuff to talk about. His father is actually a former Olympiakos Academy product way back in the day. Perry, how are you doing? Hey guys, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure. I love what you guys have done with this uh, this podcast, and I'm great. I would have been better with a win yesterday, but yeah, well, I feel the same way. It was a disappointing game for us Olympiakos fans yesterday. This will be a bit of an Olympiakos focused midweek series, uh, folks. Obviously, the midweek series is meant to be dedicated to all of Greek football, but. We had the Champions League game yesterday, so we'll go through the usual post-game process on that. We are recording just as the Ike game is finishing up and right before the beginning of the Pout game, so we unfortunately won't have great coverage for those. And we will be discussing this weekend's big match in the Greek Super League between the two teams at the top of the table, Olympiakos and Aris. We wish that we could have done this after the Pout game, but... Uh, we are recording on American Thanksgiving for some folks here, so throwing a bit of a wrench in our plans in that sense. But we will discuss Ike and Pauk a little bit. Before we do get into the discussion, a few housekeeping items to get into. As always, we have a few special guests coming up. Our next one will be on Monday, November 30th, when we will be joined by Sunsport journalist Konstantinos Lianos. He will be joining us for post-match of the aforementioned Aris game, as well as pre-match for Olympiakos versus Marseille. Konstantinos has featured on The Telegraph, BBC, The Time, and The Independent. Before our Champions League game with Porto, the week after that, we will be joined by Luis Silva, a correspondent for B24 in Portugal, to discuss pre-match for the game. That episode will air on Monday, December 7th. He featured on the Blue Moon podcast featuring David Mooney, with Adi and Mohamed Ali, another one of our former guests. So you can give that a listen if you'd like to hear about Manchester City players who have featured for Olympiacos, Porto, or Marseille. Our next special guest after that will be all the way on Monday, December 21st, when we will be rejoined by Larissa supporter and Hellas football contributor Michael Vicini. Michael and Mambro will finally be able to share the stage on the Gate 7 International podcast. We're really excited to have this one coming for us. And we have a poll on Twitter about what kind of music we'll want to have in the background. These folks are going to be ranting super hard. So we have to think about Buzukia or EDM, maybe even some hardcore hip hop. It's up to you folks. The poll is on Twitter. Follow us, Gate7INTL, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit. Speaking of social media trends, we do want to remind you about Thigh Thursdays in honor of the pandemic that Rafinha started that has spread through the Olympiacos team. Don't worry, folks. It's a good pandemic. At least good if you like seeing football players in incredibly short shorts with their thighs showing. If you want to get involved in the action, feel free to share your Thigh Thursday selfies, and we will add it to our story on Instagram. Once again, Gate7INTL. 
Thigh Thursdays are here to stay. One last announcement, we would like to say thank you to our sponsor, Piraeus International Incorporated. Piraeus International has been importing and exporting cargo for companies and individuals for over 40 years. They can assist you in importing olive oil, marble, or any other goodies from Greece. They can also assist in exporting, whether you have one box or a full household of items that need to be sent over. Check them out at PiraeusINTL.com and give them a call at 410-675-4696. The Thigh Thursday posts are going to be going on today and tomorrow in honor of Thanksgiving and our 30th episode. Share pictures of yourself. It can even be of the turkey. Turkey thighs, turkey legs will do as well. All of that is acceptable. Whatever you want. And you've been seeing some mentions of it on social media. Um, I don't know how the rumors got out there, but we're going to be doing something uh, boozing with the boys or kind of an after hours episode. The format we haven't really squared away yet, but that is going to happen. That's going to be a fun one. Uh, maybe something a lot more off the cuff than what we usually do, but we're definitely looking forward to it. And we'll have more information for that later. Yeah, you're going to want to leave your kids at home for that one, folks. It's going to be uh, a bit different from the episodes we usually record, maybe a bit less uh, nice. And that's that's saying something because we usually have Lambro on here ranting about how horrible of a club Pauk are. But we'll provide more updates on that as they come. Anyway, a couple quick updates, mainly Olympiacos focused things. El Arabi, our striker, has tested negative for coronavirus, which is really encouraging given our big games coming up in the next few days. He will be put in training for Adis. It's unclear if he will feature in that game, but we certainly hope to see him after the last couple games. Jose Holebas is also back in training for the weekend after recovering from his injury, so maybe we'll see him at left back as well. Perry, before we get started with the coverage of the Manchester City game, which I know was disappointing for all of us, we do want to ask you a bit about your background. It's a very interesting background with your father, as I mentioned, being a former Olympiacos player. Could you just tell us a little bit about his story? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my dad, uh, Costa Kajuanu, uh, which you didn't completely butcher the name. I had college professors do a lot worse than you, so don't worry <laughs> about it. He was coming up uh, in the 60s, and so he was, at about 15, 16 years old, he was a very physically well-developed human being. So he was about 6'2", 6'3", skinny scrawny that soccer body if you will and he's a gymnast had seen him and kind of wanted he saw him he's like you're an athlete let me work out with you a bit um so he put him in the gym a bit and he was also involved with some department of olbiaco so at 14 15 16 in that range he was sent to olbiaco to try out with their academy team and he did very well what I remember of my dad, uh, seeing him as a 50-year-old, you saw him touch the ball and you're, you could, if you've watched football at all in your life, you could see that and you're like, whoa, hang on a second. Like that's, that's silky smooth. Like there's something here. And so he was coming up then and Olibiaco at the time, you know, there's such things as life cycles in football. Back then, Olibiaco was not winning the championship as often as I've been lucky enough to see them win it in my lifetime. In the 60s, they won the league twice, you know, and it was kind of a rotation. Sometimes Panathinaiko would win it, Aik, Olibiaco, they would go through these rotations. And then in the late 60s, early 70s, they actually, Olibiaco finished seventh. 
I mean, can you imagine if that happens now? Uh, Redi would have some sort of panic attack. Uh, it, it would not be good for anyone in Greece. Um, but back then, it wasn't as it is today. And so when he was coming up, the youth would play before the first team. And so think of it as the U19s playing before what we know today as Olbiaco. And so because the youth team was so strong, the fans would go to these games at the old Kariskaki, which actually had a larger capacity than it has today. So my dad actually made his debut as a 15 or 16-year-old in the old Kariskaki in front of 45,000 fans. It was a derby match. You know, I think Ayak was first. Olbiaco had to win to go up or it was the other way around. And so he's playing in this game in front of 45,000 as a 16-year-old, which is just It brings joy to me telling you what he experienced, you know. He played a great game, uh, the game 0-0. Uh, last play of the game, Ike gets into the box. My dad trips a guy. Red card, penalty shot. Olbiaco loses the game, one nothing. They're no longer in first place or they've lost ground on Ike. And he's obviously dejected. He's crying in the dressing room. And the coach grabs him by the arm. He tells him, listen, you played a great game. You're going to serve your suspension. And then you're going to be a starter on this team because you're a top talent. They ended up, I believe, winning the youth league that year. But just to hear him say the story, you could tell the now that what academies are today, there's a there's a certain prestige with coming out of certain academies. And I think for him being an Olbiaco fan to have once worn that jersey and, you know, he got to play with the first team as well a bit. And some of his closest friends from the academy went on to have great careers, both with Olbiaco and other clubs. Uh, there's definitely a sense of pride there. And it definitely has resonated with me, which I feel a stronger connection to the club because of it. But to hear him say the stories is just, I don't quite do it justice. But I mean, if you're listening to this and you're an Olbiaco fan, you could just imagine your, yourself as a 16-year-old playing in front of 45,000 fans, the jersey that you love. It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Now, Perry, you kind of have your own career also when it comes to, to soccer, although more on the coaching aspect. Uh, do you mind giving us a little bit of background on kind of what you've been doing, you know, for various academies and stuff that you're coaching, you're training? What's going on with you right now? I have done a bit of coaching, but my uh, my background is more on the administrative side of things. I went back to school uh, in D.C. to complete my sports management master's degree. And from there, I actually had the opportunity the last two years, just before Corona, I had the opportunity to work with one of the top academies in North America. They're based out of Mississauga, just outside of Toronto. Uh, the name is Sigma FC, and the founder of Sigma FC, Bobby Smirniotis, is currently the head coach of Hamilton's Forge FC of the Canadian Premier League. And he was actually recently featured in an article on Gazeta.gr about the work that he's done with the academy prior to becoming a full-time coach. And so uh, I had the opportunity to work at an elite academy that has produced uh, some of the names that you may have heard of that have come out of this academy are uh, Kyle Larin, who's currently one of the top scorers in the Turkish league. Richie Larea, who's had a breakout season with uh, Toronto FC. He's been a revelation. Closer to home also in the in the MLS, Dejan Buchanan out of New England, who's had a great year. He's also uh, spent time at Sigma. And, so, and actually this year, uh, for the first time, Sigma had a player in a uh, Champions League roster. 
one of Midland's uh, defenders, uh, Manjikar James, is also a product of the academy. To have all these names on major players in football coming out of a small academy based in Mississauga, I think says everything that you need to know about the academy. And to have lived it, to see the day-to-day and the work that's put in, you kind of see things in a different way. The path to becoming a pro uh, really consists of. Uh, I definitely miss it. Until the end of times, best job I've ever had was working at Sigma FC. And uh, who knows, maybe someday I'll be there again. But for now, it's uh, I'm back in Montreal and doing my own thing. And it's been, a, it's been a strange year for everyone. But definitely nothing but great things to say about uh, Sigma FC and the work that they do over there. I'm still on great terms with uh, my former colleagues. And we talk all the time. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. It's always good to keep in touch with everyone. Uh, now, while you were there... Can you speak briefly about the developmental, I guess, philosophy of Sigma FC? Um, just to give the listeners kind of an idea of what goes behind or what's going on behind the scenes, what the goal is, what the strategy is when it comes to development. Is player choice involved? Are there players that the academy looks at and says, you know, we can't just have everyone, we have to look for specific products? Or is it, no, we grab what we can and then we have a method of, excelling players and then those of course that have top talent might excel faster what's what's the strategy when it comes to overall development for the academy every player kind of has their own path to making it Uh, i think the overarching goal as an academy at sigma and and i think what it should be is your goal is to help youth players reach their potential reach their ceiling So for some players, that's playing at a university, uh, it's playing at a club, and then that's it. For some, it's to go on to the next level and play for a European squad or play for the Canadian national team, which Sigma has had many players who have gone on to the national team. The overall goal is, can we help these kids get to where it is that they can go? And unfortunately, just pro sports you know for some uh, than others it's the pro game uh, but it takes a lot and there's many factors involved but I think at Sigma what we stress is we will invest in you so for example an MLS academy will take a kid at 12 years old and at 13 years old will cut him because he's no longer good enough that's not a thing like how can you give up on a kid that you saw talented after one year at such a young age. So I know for Sigma, the big thing is if we take you in at 12 years old, you will have the chance until 17, 18 to grow as uh, first and foremost, a human being. And then as a footballer in over that growth, we'll see where we can get you. And for some of you, it's going to be the pro game, but we need to also be realistic in that not every kid that plays football is going to be a professional football. That's just how it is. But it opened my eyes to what the exact process is that goes behind a youth talent kind of taking those steps to make his or her way to the pro game. It's never linear. There, There's ups and downs. Those who are able to thrive in the ups, persevere in the downs, those are the ones that hit that ceiling that they're able to hit. Yes. So uh, I think you kind of actually alluded to it. So it's more of a specific thing, case by case. You evaluate the players, you kind of see where each player's at, 
evaluate their strengths. But really the important thing for me and what you said was it's not just, oh my God, okay, you know, he didn't do well this one season. He's not material, proper material. Uh, and I know that's something, unfortunately, a lot of the, the new made in MLS academies that are out there, that's something that they're very guilty of. It's nice to hear that you give a little bit more of a longer time span, you know, because failure is going to happen. And it's about managing the failure from those players to get them to learn from that and see if something comes of it. Now, I wanted to kind of extrapolate that a little bit, but more for Greek development, because we've talked on the podcast with, you know, Yanakopoulos, with uh, George Chitsonis, who wrote the book Achieving the Impossible. We've talked ad nauseum about development in Greece. You have people that say the talent's there. We just don't give it enough support to really make it flourish. You have people that say, no, we don't really have the talent right now. There's a drought. We don't have the golden generation. So what, from what you see in your experience with Sigma, what do you see is really going on with not just, I guess, Greece, but with Olympiakos as well in terms of our youth development and what you think can be done differently? Well, I, I think in terms of uh, Olympiakos' academy, I think as a whole, in the last 10 years, you've seen some great results in the academy. You also have to be realistic about who Olympiakos is as a club when it comes to development of youth. Olympiaco, every year, what are the number one and number two goals? The number one and number two goals are win the league, win the cup. Now, when those are your goals, you can't play academy players the way that you want to. Pep Guardiola has been asked the same question about Manchester City. Pep, at Barcelona, you brought so many kids from the second team. Why can't you do it at City? I mean, when he took over Barcelona, you have to understand, he coached the second team. So he knew the players. He knew what they were capable of. So he was able to integrate them into what he wanted. You look at his city team and he said, I want to play more kids from the academy, but I can't because I need to win the league. I need to win the cup. I need to win the league cup. I need to win the shield. That's not really a cup, but it is a cup, but I still have to win it. And then I have to compete in the Champions League. So he has all these things that he has to win. How is he supposed to give meaningful football to kids that may or may not work out. And so you look at Olbiaco and they have kind of similar goals in that they need to win. And Olbiaco was will always need to win now. And when you need to win now, you're not going to throw in kids from the academy because they need time, they need games, they need development. And so I look at Olbiaco's academy and there are still success stories, you know, a guy like uh, Bobby Likoyanu, who at one point was a top academy player, you know, he's still playing Serie A. He's getting called up by the national team here and there. That, that for me is a success story based on what Olympiacos' goals are year in, year out. Maybe he's not good enough for Olympiacos, but he's good enough to play elsewhere. Uh, Manolis Siopis, he was considered a top six in the academy, played great games in the Youth Champions League. Where is he now? Well, I mean, he's playing in Turkey, but he's he's sitting first place in Turkey right now with all of your favorite player, Tasos Bacasetas, but we'll, we'll not get into that. Um, but these are still success stories of the academy. Anytime that you could get a player in your academy that still goes on to have a full professional career in Europe is a success story. For me, Dimitri Diamadako, the striker, he never was a good enough striker to play at Olbiaco. No, but he still plays in the top division in Croatia for Hajduk Split, you need to see this as a win for what Olympiakos' academy is 
in terms of development. They might not be our players now, but they still came out of us. And we should be proud of that. That's still something to be happy for. It's just who Olbiakos is as a club and their yearly goals. I don't think it's realistic to put that kind of pressure on those kids. And you can turn to me and go, well, Rezzo played meaningful football and Druzzo, Manfatis for the first team. Yes, they did. Olbiaco also didn't win the league the year that they did. So that is the epitome of what Olbiaco's academy is for me. Well, we're getting into a really interesting topic now uh, that you bring up the generation of Rezzos, Andruzzos, even Simikas, Nicolao, all of those guys, I think they're the same generation of the youth team. And like you said, they were picked up by, by Paolo Benzo, who was our coach that year. And I think he did win the league that year, but it was a really crappy competition in the Greek league. So bad that I can't even remember actually which year it was. I remember Bento ended up getting the sack. But my point is, you hit the nail on the head when you said that there's just too much pressure at the club, which is fueled to a large extent by, by the fans, the expectation and the media. All of those in combination, they can really hamper a young player's progress. Besides that, I mean, the, the playing expectation, the expectations of the club. I want to take as an example Sotiris Ninis or Yanis Fetpadzilis. I remember when Sotiris Ninis burst onto the scene, he played a game, I think it was a derby against Aik, Panathinaikos Aik, and they won, I think they won 3-1 or something in the Oaka, and Ninis scored two and got an assist. The next day in the papers, 16-year-old Greek Messi. The same with Fetfadzidis. Fetfadzidis turned up one, one summer, played some friendlies. Everyone saw this short Greek kid with a low center of gravity in the left foot and, you know, the close control and the acceleration. And everyone was like, wow, this kid is a Greek Messi. This is the real thing. No. It's like, chill out. You're a youngster and you get out in the street and you know what it's like in Greece. You go to the Periptero, that's the kiosk for the foreigners. You go to the kiosk and all the papers are on the kiosk and there are like 12, 15 different sports papers and they're all saying, you know, you're the Greek Messi and you're a god. And then the first crap game that you play, ah, you're shit. And that, that's it. In Greece, there's that mentality as well. It's you're a god one day and the next day you're crap. That's how quickly it is, the, the, the rise and the fall. And that's something that I think people are, I hope, starting to manage a little bit better. I think the clubs in general, they, they are more cautious about, you know, keeping those hotheads cool. And the club, you know, Olympiakos did a, a great job with Simikas, uh, loaning him out to go and play in Denmark, to go and play in Holland. Thank God Willem never triggered his release clause. But uh, I think we've improved. But the cultural aspects and challenges that we face in, in Greek football, they are, um, they are inherent. A hundred percent. It's very difficult when the expectation is for is for you to win year after year, and it's basically a given for supporters. And you see what happens with Greek fans when you upset them. They don't just pout and moan and cry like 
fans do, at least in the U.S., for football game, American football games or hockey. No, when fans in Greece get upset, they riot. So it's, it's a completely different ball game. When it comes to the youth, it's this all or nothing. With, uh, with Ninis, I remember when he bursts on the scene, of course, he starts off as the Greek Messi. Then when Fefatsidis comes on the scene, they change the names for Ninis. He was the Greek Schweinsteiger at one point, the Greek Skulls at another point. <laughs> You know, they, they kept they kept changing it up, but that's how it is. Now, for me, I do see a silver lining because I think compared to what we've seen, especially in, in the last 10 years, when things started to get really dark for Greek soccer, I think we're seeing an improvement, you know, not just with Olympiacos, but with other clubs. Look at Bauk. Look at the number of products coming out of Bauk in the last couple of years. I can't remember in the last 10 years where I, I looked at Bauk and I saw multiple products on the field from their academy that were competing not just in the first team but also competing at a high level the only one that really comes to mind in the last 10 years for me that was a bulk product was Kutianikoulis and what happened to him he was another one I think at one point he was the Greek Cristiano Ronaldo after one run in a game against it might have been Panionios I'm not I'm not 100% sure that, but that's how it is wasn't Kutianikoulis uh, Ergotelis at one point, yeah, I think. I think they, they, they bought him, I can't remember, but he was similar. He was kind of like yeah. a, a retro Fed Fadzivis. <laughs> yeah. So I recently looked up, uh, not Kutsianikoulis, who, yes, who did end up at Botelli, but I also looked up uh, Athanasiadis, who had this incredible goal-scoring record with Paul, and he would score goals in Europa League, and we were like, who's this striker? You would put him on the Greek national team, a shell of what you would see with Pauk. I recently Wikipedia'd him just because I was curious. I think he's only 31, 32, still like should be playing football. I think he had a 15-day contract or something along those lines last year with Apollo and Smidnis, if I'm not mistaken. And now he's retired. And you bring up Sotiri Nini, who... I've heard some stories about Sotiri Nini. I'm not going to bash the guy. I don't think he had the right mentality to make it at the next level. But you look at these Greek talents, like you said, the media will take a name and blow it up. And Costa, you brought it up. I thank the gods that we had the opportunity to send Simika on loan, like you said, to Esberg and then Willem. I believe that these young Greek talents need to go to those leagues because mark my words, the problem with the youth in Greece is not talent. There is plenty of talent. The problem is coaching in Greece and getting that opportunity to go elsewhere because we have seen some great success stories when young players are able to go out early on. I do want to make a point here. Uh, I mean, I've never played football at a, at a, at a high level. I, I play amateur. I play Sunday league football, Saturday league amateur football here in, in Belgium. But... When I was at uni, I had the luck, and I, I say luck really, the, the opportunity to play with a Greek kid who played in the five-a-side national team. And he played for, for Veria at the time with uh, Dimitris Alpigidis. Anyway, the, the guy was just like, I mean, I played football with him at uni and it was like watching, watching Ronaldo, like the Ronaldo. Incredible football skill. And you just ask yourself, why did this guy not play professionally? He's, he seems so much better 
than what I see on TV. I can't believe he's not a professional footballer. And he's, I tell you why, he didn't become a professional footballer because he didn't have it here in the head. I'm pointing at my head. The guy um, was being watched by Gillingham, which was at the time a League One equivalent championship team in, uh, in the UK. They came to watch him and they said they would come again. The next game, Gillingham played another friendly with uh, University of Kent and Liverpool, Everton, Chelsea were there to see this guy. Uh, he got injured, bad injury, kept him out six months and he started the drink and got unfit. And then I wouldn't say he was a shadow of himself, but just didn't have the work ethic, didn't have the mentality. I think that's something that Greek players or Greek youth is, is lacking. It's not a lack of talent, it's a lack of mentality. And a lot of Greek players, the older ones, they've said it, even like Yanakopoulos and others, that when they go abroad, or the ones that leave now, Manolas, Papastathopoulos, all these people, they leave and they never come back. Because they see what it's like when they leave, what the mentality is, what the work ethic is, what it takes to be great, what it takes to be at the top of your game. And again, there's something systemic there. It's not about talent. It's all about mentality. And just to go off on that point, because you pointed at your head and you said that, one of the things that surprised me most about uh, when I was at Sigma a lot of universities in the US and Canada would come watch. We have this amazing showcase in December. Over a hundred universities from North America would come to this showcase to watch kids from the greater Toronto area. Working for Sigma, they would come and ask you questions about some of the players. It struck me. And that's when I realized that making it pro isn't about ability. It's about mentality. And it's because consistently, you have coaches coming up to you and asking you, what is this player like? What are they like in training? Coachability, mentality, do they want it? When you sit and you think about it, being around some of these kids, you know, you can very quickly see some have it and some don't. There's that extra level. One of my favorite examples for making it at Olbiaco is Tasso Pado. Tasos Pados, who is a club legend, talent-wise, just above zero. Just above zero. Tasso Pado is not going to go around anyone. He's not going to do anything fancy with the ball at his feet. But Tasso Pado will put his head down and will work harder than anyone else on the pitch. And that is why even in Ernesto Valverde's Olibiaco, who played some of the best football, technical football, that we've seen Olibiaco play, Tasso Pado had a place with Ernesto Valverde because his mentality was right. And that's yeah. where I'll leave it with mentality because oh, Tasho Pazzo is the best player to leave it with. Uh, sorry, I just wanna, I wanna share something. I was at a game where we won a penalty and I think we were winning three or four nil. Yeah, it was, it was in the Karaiskaki Stadium, of course. And you just had- I know the game, going, I know the game. So bad. <laughs> It's <laughs> like the penalty. It was just like, oh, this is this is unbelievable. Oh, and he missed it. He missed it. What a legend! What a legend! Absolute legend. Well, with that in mind, why don't we go ahead and get into the Manchester City game, folks? A lot of good points were made about the problem with youth football in Greece, but let's go back to senior team football for a bit because we had some problematic results there as well. Olympiacos 0, Manchester City 1. 
on Wednesday in Athens. Very ugly game. I think Lambro mentioned on the last episode he wanted the old-fashioned Portuguese parked bus. Well, you got what you wanted. We lined up in a 3-4-3, or at least the club said it was a 3-4-3. But, I mean, you look at it, we played, we had five at the back. Very much sitting back. City had a lion's share of the possession. We barely had anything in their final third. Only a couple shots, and none of them were on target. We didn't really look threatening until the end of the game when we basically realized, all right, we have to get a goal. Uh, the rest of it was sitting back and defending. The way I see it, we really had to play a perfect game to not concede against Manchester City, and we weren't perfect. I think we played pretty well, but we weren't perfect, and so we conceded a very nice goal. But a 1-0 is a loss. It would have been the same if we lost 6-0 because goal differential probably isn't going to play into our standing here. But it's still disappointing nonetheless. Decent defensive showing, but obviously with the injuries and players playing out of position, you just have to really think what could have been. Absolutely, Peter. In all honesty, what, what did we expect? This was already David versus Goliath. We knew that we probably weren't likely to snag points, even if we had our full lineup available. And we were kind of down to scraps at this point. I mean, when you look at what was included on the bench, it was academy players at that point that were being brought up because everybody was missing. And I know, I mean, on social media, there were a lot of people that were unhappy about how defensive we played and that we didn't line up and at least try and do something. I know on FIFA, sometimes it's easier for you to plug players in, kind of like plug and play and make things work. But in reality, that's not how it works. When you have players that don't see the field as much or haven't played as much or aren't as used to a system, it's much more difficult to put people in and get something going. And, I mean, this game was just ugly. It was cringy for me going through the, the match data for it as well. There's not much good to say. It's just one of those games where you saw a Greek team that was clearly outclassed in Europe, and there wasn't much we could do about it. It's, it's very hard to be critical of a team who – so many players missing. I had a, a friend of mine message me. That must have been really hard to watch as an Olympiaco fan. I think that's the worst game you've ever played in Europe. And I responded to him. First of all, no, because Juventus Olympiaco is 7-0. So we won't even go there. But I'm like, it's also the first time I've ever seen Olympiaco have to play a European game missing one-third of the team that was given to UEFA. One, one third was missing. I mean, if you want to look at positives, we looked in the first 30 minutes, we looked like we really frustrated City. You know, they're kicking the ball after it's gone out. I mean, those are signs that you want to see as a fan. That's kind of working towards your favor. And I want to let some of you guys chime in on this, but I, I think this Pedro Martins team is not built to play without a natural striker. And you saw it with Panathinaiko, you saw it with Sibi uh, for the most part of the game, and you're going to see it on Saturday with Adi if El Arabi is not able to kind of work in. I'm not sure, like, you know, how much it's worth analysing yesterday's game, honestly. Obviously, it was a very frustrating, hard game to watch, and you were just saying, OK, let's get to the end. But, you know, again, we, we managed to keep it at one nothing. We were in the game until the end. We had some half chances, a Fortunis volley. 
that we, you know, we, we, we saw the ball drop from the air and we thought, come on, son, hit it, you know? And you're, you're praying that that goes in the back of the net, but it, it just, you know, it goes wide. But, but honestly, like, like Perry said, what can you expect going into the game with a depleted team, no striker? I was sad to see Fortuna start at, at the fake nine. I th I'm not hiding that I would have liked to have seen Fortuna start up front with uh, Masuras and Drusai in a 3-4-3 to have some presence up front. The hardest thing to watch yesterday was just that we just couldn't get the ball out of our own half for 35 minutes. And yes, we did frustrate City a little bit, but really the first 15 minutes, they could have had three goals uh, if it wasn't for Josesa. The other thing that frustrated me a lot yesterday was that Pape Cisse, every time he had he was taking the ball out of defence, not just yesterday, he has this tendency to look for a long ball. And sometimes he, he manages to play those nice crossfield balls, but 80% of the time it ends up going straight to the opposition or, you know, out for throwing. And you're just like, great, you're gifting possession to one of the best possession teams in, in Europe, if not the world. That, that was hard to watch. But it is what it is. That game's over. The big match is is next week against Marseille. Uh, the six-pointer we have to win to make sure we keep playing football in January. The positive that I take out of yesterday's game is Mario Vrustai probably playing out of position, uh, looked comfortable, uh, looked aggressive. And I, I hope we see him start on, on Saturday. Uh, I think he, he deserves a look. And otherwise, yeah, I mean... We've got a good keeper. He's going to go at the end of the season, for sure. For sure. Yes, Mario Vrusai. I'm kind of sad that Lambro couldn't make it today because his prophecy that Mario Vrusai is a better player than Lazar. I mean, we really kind of saw that against Manchester City. I mean, surely it was just 20 minutes, but um, he played excellent. And as Costa said, a bit out of position as sort of a right wing back. He's usually used to being in a more attacking role. And Cissé with the long balls, we do have the numbers on this, by the way. He attempted 11, which is significantly less than against Panathinaikos, I believe. He completed five of them. And I agree that especially when you're playing a team that, you know, if they get it right back, it's going to be 10 more minutes before you see the ball again. Um, you don't want to just be looping those up. You want to be a bit more deterministic in terms of making the pass that you know you can complete and building up more slowly if possible. On Fortunis... You know, we talk about game script a lot with a national team, and I obviously think that Fortuny should have been in just on, on the idea that we have nobody else. But seeing him up there in that false nine, just not getting any of the ball when you know he's a player who loves the ball at his feet was almost sad uh, until the end of the game. He was so uninvolved, and certainly you got to think that he really did not enjoy playing that game just because it was so much of just not really being involved for him. I think you saw in the last 15 minutes when Sudani came on, Fortuny was able to drop in that more 10 role when he would get yep. the ball. All of a sudden, we are now visually programmed to see Fortuny getting the ball at his feet with a defense in front of him. And yep. you're like, okay, here we go. Something is about to happen. It wasn't happening for a good 70 minutes because, you know, okay, I get it. City is putting an absolute clinic on how to press high. And as a fan of that Cruyff-Guardiola mentality of how to play football, I get that and I love it. So part of yesterday was I enjoyed watching it because it was an absolute seminar on how to press high 
and keep possession and stop your opponent from doing what they want to do. That being said, you saw Olympiaco would try to like boot that ball up and it's like, we don't have a striker. And you saw it how many times, Masura and Fortuny trying to win a ball in the air. Diaz and Stones were absolutely having a field day. I mean, I think Maguire somewhere in England was watching that and being like, why can't that ever happen to me? So I could look good for once. Uh, as a Man U fan, I'm allowed to say that. Uh, but you see a game like that and it's like, I get it. You're trying something different. It's okay, but it doesn't work. And I think in hindsight, Martins would have probably played a back four and still tried his luck with what the team is most comfortable with. But that those last 15 minutes, I mean, that's the reason Guardiola went up to Fortuny afterwards and said something to him. And Fortuny, in my opinion, is the best talent of his generation in terms of Greece. He unfortunately, doesn't have that mentality that we were talking about earlier, that you just kind of want to shake him sometimes. And you saw that earlier in the game, where in the first 15 minutes, if you're Olbiaco, you have to understand, you're playing Man City, you're playing a team that loves to hold the ball, you're not going to have possession. And there's this moment in the first 15 minutes where Fortuny is about to get the ball from a teammate, it doesn't come through because City swarmed the ball. And he, his body language was just like, Fortuny, like, were you expecting to hold the ball? Like, I, I, what was your expectation of the game? Like, you're wearing the captain's armband. Your body language can't be defeated at the 15. That's unacceptable. Like, don't give the doubters a reason right now because I'm, I love Fortuny. I, I love Fortuny. I want us to play through Fortuny. I feel like we can do great things with Fortuny, but it's like, Buddy, sometimes you're not helping yourself. Like, what is that body language? You're in the first 20 minutes of a game against Manchester City, coached by Pep Guardiola. You are not going to have the ball at your feet. Your body language can't show that. No, you're 100% right about that. And I've said the same thing, and Lambro said the same thing. You know, we saw this in, in Martinez's first season with Olympiacos, too. Fortunis, he might be a fantastic player. You could make the argument that he's the best player on Libiacos, let alone the national team. But for me, he's not a leader. He's a guy that does his job. He does it very well. And that's what you can expect from him. But if you want a real leader on the pitch, you need somebody that's vocal, that's not going to give up during the entirety of that. And we have guys, we have uh, you know plenty of personalities on that pitch that can do that. As far as you know, Fortunis on how he was used... I hate, I just hate the false nine. I, I had a feeling we were going to see it. And I know that in reality, we were just defending for a point and hoping for the best. But even so, for me, you, you got to stick with what works. And dropping Fortunis deep behind the striker or wh whoever is playing as the makeshift striker is what works. He needs that space. He needs that separation. And he can work wonders. Part of how we had any success against City in the first leg was when we were maintaining possession. Now, at the time, obviously, Fortunis wasn't on the pitch. But when you aren't possessing, when we were possessing the ball against him, that's when we were the most dangerous. When we were getting forward and actually had some positional attacks, actually got cracked a couple shots off of them. But, you know, unfortunately, didn't happen this time. You know, we just kind of hoped for the best, stuck everybody behind the ball. Nobody really looked great all things considered. The defenders, I know a lot, a couple of people had said that they thought Ba looked poor. I didn't think Ba looked too bad. 
we were definitely doing a zonal man marking system. The guys weren't staying with one person. They were trying to keep shape, which is part of the reason why we were able to cut out a lot of those through balls anyway. Manchester City did succeed on seven of 13 of their smart passes. Again, for anybody that doesn't know, those are passes that cut through two or three players and present a dangerous opportunity. They succeeded on seven of 13, so we cut out over half, which is better than we did last game against them. So you can argue that the defense was a little bit tighter. Ba wasn't as good as he usually is. and But when I say he didn't play as well defensively as he usually does, Ba's usually near 100% on all of his defensive duels. Anytime he closes somebody down, nobody usually gets around him. Um, he was 8 of 12 for his defensive duels, won 1 of 2 in the air, all three loose ball duels, 8 interceptions, 13 recoveries, 4 clearances. And of the defense, he only had one really poor giveaway in possession, which was the best of the center backs. Ba, Cisse, uh, even I'll even throw Rafinha and Drager in there. They all had some pretty poor giveaways in possession, especially Drager. Drager had some where the guy was right in front of him, and he just, like, kicked it to him. And yep. it's like, what are you doing? You know, pass the ball backwards, cut it in. You know, it was refreshing when Vrusai came on, and he wasn't afraid. He had that one that one series, the, the pass and move and the dribbles, where he went through two guys like, no. You know what I mean? You know, wasn't afraid to, to do anything. Uh, about it. So I can't give Ba a lot of shtick about his performance when he didn't have a lot of cheap giveaways. Okay, maybe he wasn't as clinical defensively as he has been for us in past games, but he didn't, for me, do any worse than any of the other defenders did, considering the shape. We maintained shape as best as we could have, I think. And, you know, now we just pick up and move on. I don't know what your guys' thoughts overall on the defense was. I mean, I, I thought they did okay. I wish that guys like Cisse and Drager made some better decisions when it came to their passing. I thought we could have done a little bit better. Uh, one nil loss with a third of your squad injured or, you know, in quarantine. It is what it is. I'm personally glad that game's over. I hope to God that we have a striker going into the next game against Marseille. That's an absolute must-win game of the season. You know, maybe to close the loop on the City game, I got into a Twitter fight yesterday evening. <laughs> because, I I dared, because I dared to say that of Marinagi's uh, comment to the media after the game where he said, you know, he started moaning about the referee and that the goal should have been disallowed. I'm sorry, mate, but really? Yeah, okay, yes, it was a foul. Yes, the guy got elbowed in the face. And probably if it was a Olibiagos goal, they would have pulled the VAR back and said, yeah, no goal. Fine, but really? You're coming out and saying that we lost the game because of that? Because we played well and because... Really? They, they could have come out in the second half and scored five. It, it, it annoyed me. Just this, like, don't be a crybaby. The game's over. We lost. We didn't have more than half our team. Get out, get on with it. Now, I don't know if he came out and said that to try and influence the, the refereeing for the next game against Marseille. But to me, it just, like, it struck me. It struck the wrong chord. It's like, nah, that's not who we are. Uh, and I didn't like it. And then I got attacked 
I got attacked by a uh, by, by a load of Greek uh, Olympiakos fans calling me ah yes. yeah you know you're one of those young Olympiakaras and blah 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 blah. I was like, I no. saw that they asked, "Are yeah. you 20? Is that what they yeah. said? <laughs> they're like, no, no. <laughs> I knew it was going Tipper, to be the Tipper Greeks. Call. It was the Greeks. Yeah. It was the Greeks in Greece were the ones that got all over you for daring to speak out. I Ooh. also didn't think that those. The, honestly, if the context were different in terms of the game, had we played like we played against Porto, like dominant, multiple, you know, multiple sh- opportunities, maybe I would understand. But like, yeah. were we really close to pulling anything in this game? No, it was completely like the words, the words that I used was unnecessary. It was unnecessary. Why? I, I mean, you're you're spot on. I I mean, I I heard what he said after the game and. You have to see it from his point of view for just a second. I mean, he's the owner of the club. He puts in the money. I get it. At the end of the day, he is a just as big of a fan as we are. So we have to understand that. We have to respect that. And I get where he's coming from. And I love him for it because we've seen some great teams under him. But at the same time, I'm with you. It's like Olibiaco had no business getting a result from that game based on what you were seeing on the pitch, there was a team that was two, three levels above our capabilities. I mean, they put on an absolute clinic on us in the first half. Bless us. We tried to play football. We tried to start attacking from the back. And I I love, I can get behind a club that does that. I love my club for wanting to play football, for not wanting to sit back the way Tottenham did on the weekend and get two results. Would I have preferred three points to playing football? Yes. However, what we have to be realistic about is, again, who we are as a club. And I get our owner coming out and saying that because at the end of the day, if that is not an elbow to the face and a foul, I don't know what that is. And if the roles were reversed, like you said, and uh, Mendy was the one who got knocked in the face by... Fortuni or Masura, guaranteed that's coming back. But if you look at Olympiacos' European games thus far this season, we have two qualifying games against Omonia and the first three games of the group. And after none of those games, did we have to talk about the officiating? What that told me is that we were due one. We were due a screw job because it happens to Greek teams and that goes back to having a weak epo. That's what it is. You can't convince me, convince me otherwise. We're not going to get into a whole discussion about Epo because I know you guys have done a great job of blasting them as they should be blasted. Um, but this would have never happened after the Euro for perspective's sake on the way that the Epo is being run. But, you know, having that strong presence with UEFA wouldn't translate to something like this. Also, a fun fact that Nicola Coppolo brought up, who for me is the best in terms of following the day in, day out, he brought up this great point. You know, this is the same referee that we had for the win in Arsenal. And he got absolutely blasted for some of the calls he made in that game. And so you can't tell me that an official doesn't remember that stuff. He doesn't remember that criticism. And so that comes full circle yesterday. And and I wrote this down on a piece of paper I have in front of me. I, I was trying to avoid it, but God damn it, we're on VAR, and I'm going to fucking go on it. I, I'm sorry for swearing. I, Adi, I told you I, I would try not to, but VAR gets my blood boiling. And it's just the inconsistency with VAR 
is absolutely infuriating. Either go to VAR every time and look on the screen or don't. Don't, don't do this half thing where for English teams, you're going to turn a blind side because let's push the English teams. But, I mean, a guy gets elbowed in the face. If that's not a foul, I don't know what is. Again, I'm aware Olympiaco had no business getting a result from yesterday's game. I accept it. However, can we just have games where we don't have to talk about the officiating the next day? I've gotten to my point in my life at 30 years old where I tell my dad, honestly, I just want a game where I don't have to talk about the officiating the next day. You would think it's not too much to ask for, but apparently it is. No, it feels like every year in Europe, we get the screws put to us one way, some way or another with the refs. I mean, if you can point to almost any literally any campaign every year we're in Europe and something goes wrong, even dating back to that hor like horrendous loss against Maccabi Tel Aviv with Lenin when he got appointed, which eventually resulted in Ernesto Valverde coming. But there were some pretty tragic decisions in that game by the referees as well. I make it, I try to make it a point personally not to focus as much on the referee. Had the game script really been different and we were a lot better and actually looked like we could have taken a point, I would have been much more vocal against the referee. But because of what we saw, you know, for me, it was just even had that gone our way, it, there was no, you, nobody can say we deserved anything from this game. It, it was tough. We were just outclassed. But in terms of what we've done in Europe so far under Martins and his tenure here, this game is forgivable in that respect because we are usually going at people in Europe. Under Martins, we are not afraid of anybody. Look at the game against Porto. The, the way the English announcer on CBS was discussing this game, discussing how, you know, Manchester City and Porto, just a class above the rest of the competition. This guy clearly didn't watch us play against Porto where we dominated them. Now that was a game that infuriated me, not because we didn't play well, because we were the better team. And that result was completely undeserved. So in regards to this game and, and what it means and what it says about our playing style, I mean, for me, look, Guys, we weren't expecting any points from Manchester City anyway. This was a wash for me. I wasn't expecting anything, and I'm not going to hold this against Martins for trying to grab a point where he could. But we've played well in Europe under Martins, and that, for me, is the sticking point here. We have played well against bigger teams. All these teams are bigger than us, and we go at them. We play our style of ball. We make them conform to what we do, Marseille. Okay, you know what? Maybe Marseille's not having the best run of it. But Porto, we, guys, we already went through the metrics with that. We dominated Porto. Losing losing that game was a travesty because it was undeserved. We, we had 46% possession against Man City in the second half at the Etihad. Mm -hmm. We're the only team this year to have had as much possession against Man City. Yep. That's something we brought up also when we talked to Dave Mooney. We said the same thing. We were the only team at that point. And actually, I did go through Manchester City's other games. We're still the only team that's possessed that well against them at any point and completed the number of passes we did. All I'm going to say. I just want to mention as well, now that we're sort of on the track of ranting about things that don't affect the result of the game, 
the goddamn British announcers. I can't listen. I mean, for one, who is Buchalakis? Who is Mazaras? Who is Mantalos? Like, I, that's one thing. Um, also, the one comment that this one BT Sport, it might have been like Ian Dark or whatever his name is, the comment this one BT Sport guy made, oh, Olympiakos, they've gotten nine points from nine in Europe against Premier League sides. Other words, they'd be about as good enough to stay up. It's like the oh, absolute yeah. ignorance. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Olympiacos oh, would God. definitely just barely stay up in the English Premier League. Yeah, we'd be down there fighting with Aston Villa and West Ham for relegation. Like, are you kidding me? We're on average drawing with top European sides in England. I just want to make that clear. And we're playing well against them. Like, that just... That shook me to the core watching that in my house by myself. Like the absolute disrespect from British media to Greek teams. Just I could rant about that all day, but I just wanted to mention it because like that was such an ignorant comment. I can't believe they said that. You know, I, I was flipping from the Greek to the to the B to BT and, and, and back and forth. And I, I remember hearing that comment as well. And I was just like, that's so out of context and just so wrong that. I just don't even know what to say. It's just I mean, pushing an agenda. It, it was so misinformed and so wrong. It was like, we're playing against top six sides that we're beating. Literally. You know? Yeah, but and we're only as good as Aston Villa. Okay. Yeah. But you know, I'll say something. The Greek commentary yesterday. Oh my Lord. The guy, Thane Lagis, who was commenting yesterday... He was so disappointed with the performance. It's like, are you realizing that we're playing without six of our starting 11? So are we watching the same game and do we, do we know the same things going into it? It was unbelievable. Literally, like... Did, did, you, the best, the did best. you hear how excited he got? Did you hear how excited he got when Fortuny got his volley? Yeah, but... Okay. I, I thought we, I, I thought we scored. Fair enough, because the guy's not seen anything from us the entire game. <laughs> but, but literally, some of the commentary was just like, oh my God, the best Greek commentator is mute. The best Greek commentator is mute. I'm sorry. It was literally, you had to mute it if you're watching Greek telly. No, you're you're 100% right. And on to more nonsense and absolute clowningism from British commentators. How about that clown on Twitter? What was his name? James Thomas talking about Tsimikas in uh, Liverpool's 2-0 loss to Atalanta. They play a scrub B-side against these guys. And there were way worse games played by other players. I'm not going to say names because I'm not petty. I mean, I am, but I'm still not going to say names. But he singles out Tsimikas. And he's like, oh, this was a, a, a blatant, a blatant and, and it, you know, missed opportunity. A blatant, huge missed opportunity is what he said. My friend, he did not play bad. I even pulled up the metrics and threw it on his Twitter to just show him how full of shit he was. Because Tsimikas was not the worst part of that game. Has Tsimikas played better games, especially for Libyakos? I'll say I can agree with that, yeah. But when he's playing with a B-side against Atlanta, and he was definitely not the worst player on there. British announcers in general, most of them are just absolute full of BS. They're full of crap. They, you can tell when they don't know what they're seeing because you get so much detail about 
Premier League clubs or even top side Spanish clubs when they talk about them. But any other club, general nonsense, complete misinformation about certain players. And it's it's disgusting. Like you would think if you were some type of commentator for a major outlet that you would be forced to at least read a summary like maybe a one-page summary. Can you get somebody in the back room to prepare it for you? A one-page brief summation of the last three months going on at the club, a bit about each player here and there, you know, so you can at least make it seem like you know something about something. It's unbelievable how much how full of crap they are. My favorite part is, you know, they're watching our games, and as you said, literally, they only know things if it pertains to an English club. They're like, oh, here's Jan and Vila, best known for his two games at Sunderland. I'll tell you about every touch that he had with Sunderland. Andreas Buchalakis, well known for his loan spell at Nottingham Forest. I'll tell you all about his first game where he scored a goal for Nottingham Forest in the championship. Right. It's like Jan Avila is a French international, like been a very well-traveled veteran, but you only know about him <laughs> from Sunderland. Like, first Ridiculous. of all, that's a joke. Also, the Liverpool thing, it's quite obvious, like, if you're not English, they're, they're going to have a bias against you. Or actually, and I'm not going to name names, but I'm going to say, yeah, they, if they're Welsh, they're, they're, they're going to have a bias they're, for they're, they're arrogant. Yeah, there's an English arrogance when it comes to football. Meanwhile, it's a, clo- it's a country. I'm sorry, Costa. I'm going to bring it up. It's a country that's only won the World Cup once. Greece has more European championships than you do. Hey, and, I and it's I, just, I, I, I just, I, 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 just to clarify, Greece first, Greece first. Yeah, he's a Greek. Okay, okay. Greek. Too many disappointments. I, I cried my eyes out in 96 when Gareth Southgate missed that penalty against the Germans. And ever since then, yeah, well, it just all downhill. Well, I, I didn't cry when Gareth fell, just letting you know. Um, but, it's English. Oh, we've got the Prem. It's the best league. Yet Messi and Ronaldo don't play there, but it's the best league. And I, I get it. It is, it is competitive. It, it, it's, it's where you want to be as a footballer. But, I mean, would it kill you to be a little bit humble? Just a little bit. Not a lot. A little bit. I, I don't know if the, world, if the word humble exists in the British vocabulary. A lot of a lot of the beef was probably like you know the typical kind of 15 16 year olds that go on Twitter and just troll but honestly I I watched the game I watched the Liverpool game because I was really like I was I, I was enthusiastic to watch Tim Timikas actually play in a game that wasn't a game against Lincoln or a league cup game and I thought you know I, I I watched the game I thought he didn't do too bad you know he's he's obviously not fit he's still recovering he had two games in the national team where he basically covered the left wing alone uh so he was tired like you saw him kind of huffing and puffing but on Twitter actually I would say a majority of Liverpool fans thought he was one of their best players on the day uh it was a crap performance by Liverpool overall he didn't do like that badly. There was one moment in the game, he made a run up the left and he got blocked by three Atalanta players that were double his size and they were trying to push him over and he wasn't being knocked down. And it was funny to watch. It's just like, you know, he's, just, he's not that big, but the guy's strong. And you did see a lot of comments on Twitter. It was just like, the guy, you can't knock him over. But anyway, no, we, we love Simikas. He's backing up probably the best left back in the world at the moment. 
for me. It is yeah. what it is. I wish him the best. I can confirm that that is accurate. He is backing up the best left fullback in the world. And if anyone wants to dispute that fact, I mean, find the metrics, find whatever you want. No. Our boy, a Greek boy, who gets to work with him, work with one of the best managers ever, week in, week out. He's improving himself. He's improving that team, whether he shows it weekly or not. I have no problem sending great players to great clubs with great managers. It's only a win for him as an individual, uh, Greece as a country, because if they can get their stuff together, they will reap the benefit. Andy Robertson is the best left back in the world right now, but in a few years it will be Alfonso Davies. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, to wrap up this game, I know Perry appreciated that because he's Canadian, but I, uh, to wrap up this game, why don't we go around and give out a quick coach's grade to Pedro Martins as well as man of the match award, although uh, not many positives to highlight. I will say my man of the match is Jose Sa. He had a great performance. With an honorable mention to Mario Vrusai, I think my favorite moment of that game was when he came right in and dribbled past like five players. He also had a couple other nice passes. Uh, I really look forward to seeing him more. Hopefully he retains his position in the squad and, and is in the team for Adis this weekend. For our coach's grade, I mean, I'm giving Martins a B plus, A minus, folks. Uh, a lot of people are disappointed. You know, it was an ugly game to watch, but look what the man had at his disposal. Look at the team that we were playing. With all the circumstances, you can't expect much better. We stood with them for 90 minutes and conceded only one goal. Um, I think back to last year against Bayern when we stood solid for 70 minutes, but then broke down and conceded three goals. Uh, I see this as an improvement. We weren't perfect, as I said at the beginning, but we played a solid game defensively. We did not look nervous. I think even some of the less experienced players didn't look nervous. So I will say... A minus for Martins here. Adi? It's a little generous for, for my take. Only because I, I think I, I don't think I'll do A minus. I think I'll give him a B. Only because the use of Fortunus in a false nine, it's we've never seen it go well. We've never seen it really function correctly. I think he was just throwing something out there and hoping for the best in this case. Not that I blame him for it. I just think that Fortunus should have been lying deeper and we should have had Sudani out instead. You know, in addition to that, I would have I would have had a real winger playing, just throwing it out there because we weren't again we weren't expecting points from this game anyway. And this is just me personally. I'm not saying that this was a right or wrong thing to do. Me personally, I would have thrown Vrusai out there just to see, put him out there. Obviously, I know he's not tested, and Martins would never have done that. That's just something I think should have been done. Uh, we didn't have a lot of movement. You saw, like, when we were getting pressed, there weren't a lot of players moving into open spaces, and we needed some some movement. We needed that. That's the only way you can diffuse a press if you want to have any hope of doing that. So all things considered, I, I don't begrudge him the five the five four one. I just wish Fortunis wasn't the point man. So I'll, I'll give him a, a BB. I'll just say B+. Plus. I'll give him a B-plus for that. And my man of the match is definitely Saw. Without Saw, that game goes 3 4 nothing. I think you you got it spot on. Don't really need to add much. I like I said at the beginning, I would have liked to see a bit more presence up front to support Fortunis. And you know, it was a shame that we saw him playing back to goal for 77 minutes. But all things considered, 
I'd probably give the coach a B, B minus. Yeah, man of the match is obvious. Trisissa. For me, if I'm going to give a letter grade to the, to the manager, listen, I'm a big fan of Martins. We have no reason as an Olympiaco fan to distrust what he what his plan is for the team. I mean, this team is built in his image, how he wants them to perform. Okay, it didn't work yesterday. I get that. But again, his team is not built to play without a classic striker. I will say it's it, it's a B for me just because it could have been so much worse. Guys, let's take a step back. If Kevin De Bruyne played in this game, I think it would have been an absolute disaster. Me, personally, because I love Kevin De Bruyne. I think he's amazing. It could have been so much worse. Thankfully, he didn't play. I love the fact that the team did not give up. And for that, I give an MVP to Saad just for the saves. He, he stood there. Thankfully, a lot of them were on him. It wasn't anything extravagant, nothing sexy. But he was there. He made the saves. Guys, we played, a, we played one of the best teams in the world. Up until that point, they had scored three goals on every team in the group. We held them to one nothing. That's a win. Uh, think about it. Like we're be close. We're we're nothing sexy. We're nothing sexy. But you know what? With this coach, we make ourselves sexy a bit. Like there are three managers I can think of off the top of my head that I've been so happy to be an Olympiaco fan. Uh, really? Right now, guys, don't do that to me while I'm recording. Like. <laughs> Okay, you guys threw me off with the Pauk news. Now I'm upset. <laughs> it's okay. Someone else take over. We got to move on anyway to the next thing. Yeah, so let's get into pre-match for Olympiacos versus Adis. We'll do that, and then we will talk about the European games. As we just mentioned, as we're recording, Pauk have just absolutely bottled and conceded two goals in a row. It's now 3-2 PSV. Hopefully Pauk can come back, though. If they win, they would be... I'm not sure they'll have clinched, but they will be uh, securely in that second place in the group. So we hope that they can come back and do that. Anyway, Adis versus Olympiacos, big weekend match. Both teams are on the same number of points. Olympiacos are currently on top of the league by goal difference. They've actually had a very similar schedule. They have played all the same teams, except Olympiacos, I think, played Atromitos and Adis played Volos. So very comparable schedule strength. Neither team has had a, a particularly strong schedule, but pretty comparable schedule strength. Adis have generally won, in some ways, uh, similarly to Olympiacos, they're not scoring a ton of goals. Their number one goal scorer would definitely be Bruno Gama, who is currently fourth in the Super League in goals. They're having a great season. They made a lot of big acquisitions over the summer after a lot of players leaving, and it's turning out for them. Adi, tactics-wise, what might we expect to see from Adi's this weekend? So they tend to line up 4-2-3-1, very similar to us. Um, they also can run in a 4-4-2. It's more like a 4-4-1-1. But 
Uh, again, very similar. Their offense really isn't that great. They have a positional attack efficiency of like 15%. We've talked about with other teams in the past, like Larissa, when they were struggling, they were at 15%. And we said that that was actually pretty poor in terms of conversion. In terms of the positional attack efficiency, better teams like Olibiakos or even Bauk, you could say, are in the 20s. They're converting almost a quarter of those attacks into some type of shot or something on whether it's off on or off target. Um, Adis isn't the, you know, fortunately they're like us. They haven't really played great competition. Probably the best competition they played is arguably either you could say Panathinaikos for what that's worth, I guess. So both Adis and us, I mean, this is really like our first real test of the league. You know, we're playing against Adis who's in form. They're playing against us. And we're going to see what happens. Now, they tend to attack the most from that left side. Um, in all but two games, the majority of their attacks have come from the left side, as well as the higher X-goal differential metric. So, uh, again, the expected goal differential, that's basically um, the probability that based on the type of attack and where the shot came from, what the probability is that they score a goal from those attacks. Um, in the last five years. And this goes for anything, any type of game, any type of league. They aggregate all this data to tell us what is expected and what isn't. So, again, their most dangerous attacks come from that left side. The majority of their attacks also come from that left side. So it's going to be interesting because it means that they're going to be sending those attacks in up through Rafinha. And Rafinha has been pretty solid for us on that side. So it's going to be very interesting for us to see how they do challenging him as well as the defensive mids. I think, uh, again, fortunately, if, you know, if Holebas ends up coming back and playing this game, El Arabi comes back, we line up how we usually do, maybe 4-3-3, maybe in a 4-2-3-1. Hopefully it's a 4-2-3-1 with Fortunis as the 10. And... Um, this is a, a, a winnable game. It's not a give me. It's definitely not a give me because it's the first major competition we've had. And we're still, besides this past game uh, that we played in the Super League, we're struggling to score in the first half. And these guys are getting it done. So it's not an easy game by any means. But this is a winnable game. Just so you guys, because I know Olbiakos fans maybe don't consider Ari that big of a threat when it comes to, you know, who's going to win the title and that's fair because in the past they haven't at least in my generation they haven't been there um but you should know um because i have a cousin who married into a family who's very passionate about ari uh there is not an ari fan that doesn't start the football season without thinking that ari is going to win the league their fans are just so into that team and the fact that they are still in the running after this long I mean you're dealing with a team right now with some momentum with some belief you're kind of, you're getting a team that has a coach who since he took over has nothing but wins so they are feeling good about themselves and when you look at Olbiakos's results the injuries everyone that's missing for them just as much as we believe that this is a winnable game on their end, they believe that this is a winnable game. And I believe that they, uh, we have an expression in Greece, they will bite through metal. They will bite through anything to get a result. Like if, if you think, I, I honestly believe that if you win in Ari, 
you're going to cruise in Marseille. That's the extent of what I'm expecting from Ari. And if they come out and lay an egg, that's on them. But based on what I know about that club, their fans, the way that they consider themselves, you're talking about a game that was a lot more difficult than the Panathinaiko that we had at home. That stadium is a melting pot. It's a real volcano. I've been to a game. It's one of the hardest places to travel to, for sure. Um, and we're lucky well, in our misfortune of the current situation, of course, with everything going on. But uh, I think you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's going to be a good test for the team. I do hope that El Arabi is okay, passes a fitness test. He needs game time to be ready for Marseille. So I hope he at least gets a, a run out. And, and yeah, it's going to be a good test for us. I haven't watched Addis play this year, to be honest. Uh, they're second in the league. I don't think they've, they haven't played any big games. They haven't played uh, any of the top four teams. I, I, of course, expect us to go over there and win and, uh, and build some confidence going into the, the Marseille team. The news is apparently that Olebas is, is training again. I don't know what the hell is going on with Ruben Vinagre. Uh, he was on the bench yesterday. I don't know if he's fit. I don't know if he's ever going to actually gel into the team. I don't know if we're going to end up with Olebas being our starting 11 left back for the rest of the season. Um, I think that may have been mismanaged during the transfer period with the, with the left back, but that's, a, that's another topic. Sorry, I know we're going to wrap up in a bit. I just, I, I want to make a quick comment because we haven't mentioned it yet. Yesterday, we had the passing of an absolute football legend, uh, Diego Armando Maradona. Uh, and I know we started the, uh, the episode kind of talking about my father and his experience. I mean, when you talk about football legends, uh, if you're going to do, if you will, uh, what do you guys call it in the U.S.? Uh, that mountain with the four heads Mount Rushmore um, if you're going to do a Mount Rushmore of football uh, for a lot of our older generations it goes Pele, Maradona, Cruyff, Beckenbauer we we, we did lose a legend yesterday uh, I, I strongly recommend uh, go watch the HBO special that was done last year on Diego Armando Maradona I know the country and any listeners who are Argentinian, my condolences, because I know that they are in mourning uh, for a bit because uh, we are talking about one of the greatest who have ever played the game. And so uh, all my uh, respect and my love goes out to uh, those who are feeling that today. Very well said, Perry. An absolute icon culturally and an incredible footballer, someone who with his skill, his love for the game, and his amazing talent made millions and millions of people across the globe fall in love with the game um, and a constant influence and really a god to a lot of Argentinian people in terms of, of the way they looked up to him and their culture. So it, it can't go unmentioned, especially having happened yesterday as we're recording this. Um, moving on, though, uh, of course, it's hard to move on, but... Um, we should make some predictions for the Aris Olympiacos game, I suppose, for this weekend. Uh, we usually just do a scoreline and, and, you know, we can say the goal scores if we'd like. Perry made the good point that this game is probably going to be more difficult than Panathinaikos uh, last weekend, a game that we won 1-0. However, with some players back from injury, 
I'm going to say 1-0 again. I'm going to say Yorgos Masuras scores the goal, uh, cutting in from the left wing. Gets a nice shot just from the left corner of the box, and it gets in the back of the net. I hope El Arabi plays. It seems like he might. They're obviously going to be very desperate to get him in the team. Perry, what's your prediction for the weekend? Um, I'm going to be honest. All week I've been thinking this is going to be a naughty win. Too too much on the focus, maybe on Marseille. Too much of the the line changing, just the change in tactics, the change in lineup. I want to say it's going to be a draw, uh, but I think uh, I think Adi comes out on top of this one. I think they're going to be ready to go. I think they see it as an opportunity to take uh, a hold on the league for the first time in I don't know how many years. Uh, they haven't dropped any points since uh, their new manager took over. So I'm going to go with uh, 2-1 Adi. 3-0 Versailles hat-trick. No, no, no. I'm saying that. <laughs> we told you you're subbing in for Lambro. We didn't mean that quite so literally. <laughs> you, know, you, you know what is funny? I... I, I usually don't don't rant as as much, but you know, subbing in for for Labro, I just felt this this need this this fill the uh, void, <laughs> fill the void, and up the intensity a little bit tonight. I don't know. Um, no, I, I said that for shits and giggles, but two um, one, I think we'll win. I honestly, looking at the Addis lineup, I really can't recall any like big threats. Okay, Mateo Garcia, maybe um, on the wing. They haven't been challenged yet by a by a top four team. I think without their fans there tomorrow, if we can, you know, keep the defense tight the first half, like we usually do in the league, and then you know it's a second half, typical second half performance from Olympiacos. We go out, we get the goal, and you know finish the game tidy and rest some players and get ready for the Marseille game. Sorry, guys, I do want to step in and I want to mention that I read this earlier. Adi did ask for officials from outside of Greece for the match. Now, normally I would say it has no effect, but let's get serious. It's Greece. Uh, I understand why they asked for it. To be honest, I prefer it. Uh, whether they get it or not, that's a whole other story. But just know in the back of your mind that there already is this kind of situation where the officiating is going to be in question no matter how the game goes, no matter what. Well, that's definitely some good information to keep in mind. Um, for me, in terms of the game script, I think what we're going to see is uh, Adis is probably going to park the bus. I, they're definitely going to be more defensive. It's not like they've been dominating on the ball against even some of these mid and lower table Greek teams. They've been outpossessed by by some of them. Uh, Asteras Tripoli, Panetolikos has outpossessed them. Even Panathinaikos, when they played them, uh, you know, have outpossessed them. And it's not like they're doing stellar this year. Volos as well. So they're going to park the bus. They're not particularly good on the counter. I think they have the worst counter efficiency in the Greek league this year. Um, they're, they're only averaging about one and a half a game. And their efficiency with the counter is something terrible like 8%, 8.7% exactly. Um, now, one thing they are good at is they're allowing the least number of shots per game on their goal. They only allow, they allow under eight per game. That's the best right now in the Super League. Now, the context, they haven't played any of the top five teams. They haven't played us. They haven't played, well, if you still consider Panathinaikos, I guess, one of the top five clubs, which maybe not this year. But they haven't played Bauk. They haven't played Ike. They haven't played us. 
I think it's going to be us on the ball most of the game. It's going to be another game where we're frustrated trying to break through. Uh, and I think, personally, we'll probably get uh, a 2 nothing. Maybe El Arabi plays, gets a scoring form. Maybe Masudas gives us a little wonder class. Um, I think it'll be 2 nothing. Uh, this should be a winnable game. This Adis team doesn't really scare me. There's no particular aspect of it that's amazing. They do have some good pieces, but it shouldn't be something we can't handle, and the onus is on us. We need to win this because we need a huge result going into Marseille. So I'm going to go with 2 nothing, and then we go uh, into Marseille with a win at our backs with first place and the momentum. Yes, the Marseille game is very important, which we'll obviously talk about this weekend. It would certainly be good to come in with that momentum from Aris. And for me, I think the club will be, will be keeping that in mind. Uh, the only thing that worries me going into the Marseille game, and I, I do think we are a better team than Marseille, uh, but I saw yesterday that they lost a Champions League record 13th game in a row. My only worry going into that match is that being the only French team that's ever won the trophy, they may see a very uh, favorable officiating in that we may get a screw job again. I'm, I'm just preparing everyone because it's that kind of uh, situation, that kind of picture has been painted where they've lost 13 in a row. Uh, they're a team with a lot of pride. Uh, they're going to give it their all. I wouldn't put it past UEFA to kind of give them that little extra whistle that may be needed. Um, hopefully it doesn't happen. My biggest thing is coming out of a European fixture is let's not have to talk about the officiating, but for us fans who are expecting a good result, unfortunately, maybe keep that little statistic in the back of our minds as we see how the game unfolds. Now, moving to the other Greek teams that are participating in Europe, uh, we have Ike, who lost 3-0 just before we started recording to Zoria Luhansk. Very disappointing result for me. Um, I mean, if you look at the standings, you've got Braga and Leicester, who seem to be pretty much a shoe-in to advance through this group. Uh, Ike would have needed to basically beat one of them again, uh, and it didn't look very possible the first two times they played. So, you know, we'll see what we can do about that. Um, but the team that they were able to beat the last time, a 4-1 win against Zoria Luhansk uh, before the break, they lost 3-0. So a very poor result for Ike. Uh, Montalos was not even in the squad at all, uh, so maybe that had an impact. But yeah, pretty shocking performance for Ike from me. Makes it tough for them to really get anything else. We want these for the coefficient, and it's really disappointing that they couldn't help the coefficient out there. Pauk, which we are not really watching because we're recording while the game is going on, are currently losing 2-3 in, I think, about the 70th minute to PSV. Uh, they pulled off a really nice win against a very battered PSV team a few weeks ago, and we're looking good at halftime with a 2-1 victory, and then PSV rattled off two quick goals in a row. Solis with a goal and an assist in the first half. He was actually the first player subbed off in like the 55th minute or something. Uh, with Thomas Morg coming on. I mean, Lambro's not here to say it, uh, so I guess I'll say it. Pauk have seemed to have done it again here. Really disappointing. They could still get second in their group, though, so I'll give them that. I'm not going not gonna to rag on them too much, but um, definitely would have hoped for more from Pauk there. Still 15 minutes of game left there. Yeah, honestly, like, 
could be a big jinx for me. I mean, everyone who's watching this is going to have watched after the game is long done. So maybe they come back and victoriously win it. I hope so, because if they win, they're in a really good position to win the group because they have a game against Ammonia coming up, which is probably points of some kind. But those are matches to keep in mind with Europe. Uh, with that, I, we have we've been talking for a really long time, so uh, I do want to wrap up. I can Pauk fans, I'm sorry we don't have more coverage of your team, but between the fact that the Pauk game is currently going on and the Ike game just wrapped, we don't really have a lot of analytics or anything to talk about, but uh, best of luck to both of them for the rest of their Europa League campaigns. Perry, thanks so much for coming on and featuring. Uh, it's always nice to have people who have a really unique connection to Olympiacos and Greece come on and talk football with us. If there's anything that you'd like to say or, or any anything you'd like to promote, if you're on social media at all, uh, now's a good time. So the floor is yours. To be honest, I keep a pretty low profile on the social media. Um, however, uh, a good friend of mine and uh, we've been talking about starting a little podcast of our own. So. Uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we can speak again about Olbiaco and I'll have a little more information on that uh, as uh, uh, we look into um, starting a, a little podcast of our own. Um, but uh, no, I mean, honestly, uh, I said it, uh, Ari, before joining the show, it's, uh, it's so great what you guys are doing. Ari and I used to talk about it when we were in college, just having that platform to hear the latest Greek soccer news outside of the Greek outlets. I'm fortunate enough, I'm fluent in Greek, um, but that's not the case for everyone. And uh, what you guys are doing is fantastic. And Costa, it's great to, and Peter as well, it's great to put faces to uh, voices and uh, just exchange ideas. And it's, uh, it's expanding the community and uh, just happy to be a part of it. Thank you for having me. Of course, man. Uh, we wish you best of luck with your podcast as well. And uh, as soon as we hear anything, we will certainly be happy to promote it. Um, definitely very excited to see that coming about. And as you say, expanding the community and continuing to interact with others. Thank you all for listening, especially if you've made it this far. To our American listeners, hope you're enjoying a lovely Thanksgiving weekend, obviously in a safe fashion uh, so as to not transmit coronavirus. Uh, but, you know, at least maybe a turkey sandwich uh, with your mom and dad or something like that. Costa, thank you for subbing in as always. Certainly won't be the last time that the listeners will see you on the podcast. Um, we will be back on Monday after the Adis game. There will be a clear top of the league, uh, unless I guess unless it's a draw, but we will provide post-game analysis on that. And then we will talk more about the Marseille match that we hinted at today. Um, until then, best of luck to all the Greek teams in Europe. And we will see you very soon.